The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. You guys awake today? Yeah, maybe. Okay, let's do a quick poll. Who's had your coffee today? Raise your hand. Okay, this is the caffeinated service. (laughs) Who is um, not a coffee drinker? Anybody? Okay, now we know who to pray for today. (laughs) Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse. I'm the youth pastor here at The Grove. And uh, my wife, Joy, and I, we've been here for about a year and a half now, and it has been quite the year and a half to jump in and be brand new in a youth ministry setting. But we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to be here. And I just want to say thank you to all of you guys for being here today. If you're watching online with us as well, thank you so much for joining us and tuning in today as well. If you were here last week, you remember there was a moment where Pastor Nick said, if today doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, then next week definitely will. And then you watched and watched either watched online or came here today and saw the youth pastor get up on stage, and then you realize, oh, that's why I'm going to feel uncomfortable. All coming together. Makes sense now. But seriously, we're grateful to be here. Uh, It's interesting looking around this room. There are some of you where I've primarily gotten to know you over Zoom, so that's fun, and it's cool to see your smiling faces here today. But I have the honor of continuing our series, What's Next? And today I want to talk a little bit about the idea of generations. If all of us were to think about it, we could probably point to one to three, sometimes more people in our life who invested in us in crucial ways that changed the course of our future. One of those people who I think about for myself was my grandpa. And he has since passed on. He knew Jesus, so he's with the Lord now. But my grandpa had a tremendous impact on my life. He introduced me to something called a Western movie when I was a young lad. A little bit of Wyatt Earp. Come on, anyone? Some people? Wow, we got cheers in this gathering. That's awesome. A little bit of Tombstone for some others. But he introduced me to some good old Western culture in that way. Another area which he introduced me to something and influenced me was also in cartoons. Because of him, I have a deep love for something called Looney Tunes. Who actually knows what that is? Yeah, come on. Waskily wabbit. That was one of my favorite cartoons as a kid. And I remember running out to where my grandpa, he would sleep in the recliner anytime he would stay with us. And I remember running out there to wake him up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning saying, Grandpa, Grandpa, you got to get up so we can watch Looney Tunes. Crazy thing was I was like 16 years old at the time. <laughs> that's a joke. I was like 15. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. But he showed me kind of some cool cartoons in that way. Another way in which my grandpa influenced me was I developed a deep love for history. When he would come to visit, we would sit down and we would watch the History Channel together. You know, back when they actually talked about history and not whether or not aliens are a real thing. Factual things, you know. My grandpa had a tremendous impact on me. Another way which he impacted me was my sense of humor. My grandpa to this day, I'm convinced, is one of the funniest people to ever walk the face of this planet. But more importantly than all of that, one of the ways in which he invested in me and influenced my future was by giving me an opportunity to observe and see how he loved and followed Jesus. He had a hope that wasn't found in anything that this world had to offer. He had a hope that was outside of himself, 
that looked to something greater that was firmly rooted in the love of Jesus. And it was this hope that I was able to watch my grandpa model that influenced and changed the course of my future. He's one of the many people who invested in me over time. And today we're talking about the next generation. We're talking about the idea that every single person in this room represented today has a young person in your life that God has given you the opportunity to pour into and influence. It's not an exclusive calling to a youth pastor. It's an exclusive calling to all of us to invest in the next generation. If you're not familiar with the next generation, they're what's known as Generation Z. Oftentimes people shorten that down to Gen Z. And there's a little disagreement about when this generation exactly begins. Some people say it's the age six. Some people say it's today's eight-year-olds. But it's pretty much agreed upon that it goes up to about age 25. I'm 26, and I just missed it. (laughs) Hello, millennials. I am one of you. But it's about that six years old to 25 age range. And if you're out there and if you maybe parent someone in Gen Z or you are in Gen Z, could you just raise your hand? If you're online, could you say that in the comments as well? Okay, awesome. We're talking about Gen Z today and the idea that God has called all of us to invest in the next generation. There's an organization that is called One Hope And many of us have heard of Barna, and there's another organization called Feed Youth Ministry, and they partner together to put together a document called the Gen Z Report. It's a 19-page document filled with statistics and studies all about the up-and-coming generation. And for the remainder of our time today, I'm going to read it word for word and hope you don't fall asleep. Kidding. That's not what we're doing. You guys are like, he's serious. Wow. Wow. But we're talking about this report a little bit. And as I studied it, as I looked through it, there were a few specific statistics I found interesting that I want to share with you today. The first one has to do with Gen Z's view on morals. A study done by Barna shows that one in four Gen Zers agree with the statement, what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. Essentially, what that statistic and that statement tells us is that one in four people in the up-and-coming generation believe that what was morally right or wrong 100 years ago isn't necessarily true today. Even 50 years ago isn't necessarily true today. The definition of morality becomes a moving target based on what culture and society dictates. The next interesting statistic has to do with social media. We know that Gen Z is more online and more connected than any generation prior. And it tells us that one in three U.S. Gen Zers ages 3 to 21 reported having a fake Instagram account, also known as a, fin- as a Finstagram account. Essentially, this is a fake account where they can post their true authentic self. They can post what they're actually feeling, their actual emotions, their actual experiences without having to worry about the pressure of this being seen by an employer or by a nosy family member. What else is interesting is that this study tells us that 50% of Gen Z students under the age of 12 years old have one of these accounts. Under the age of 12. An interesting statistic also has to do with faith and religion, and research shows us that Generation Z is the least religious generation that this world has ever seen. In a study done in 2020, 
where they surveyed a group of American Gen Zers, they found that in the United States of America, 51% of people in Gen Z identify as Christian. And if you're a glass, half empty, glass, half full type of person, you might be like, hey, we're winning, 1%, we're in the lead. But what's interesting is if you go back to the year 2016, and you look at what the number was then, it was 58% of Gen Z identified as Christ followers. Over the past four years since that study was done, we have seen a 7% dip in that number. It's also interesting when you look at their statistics involving mental health, and they show that concerning research is showing a correlation between an increase in in rates of unhappiness, depression, and even suicide. And that correlation is drawn to the amount of time that students spend on screens and using social media. US teens are spending an average of more than 13 and a half hours on social media a week. And what happens is you have that those who spend more than three or more hours per a day are 30, about 35% of those students are more likely to wrestle with thoughts of suicide and are more likely to have a suicidal plan than their peers where their screen time and their social media usage is less. This is the point where the message gets uncomfortable. Because if I'm honest, when I look at these statistics and I look at this study, those are really sobering numbers. Seeing what the next generation is going through, what their struggles are, what their battles are that they're facing, it's hard to look at that and feel a ton of hope. So why do I share all of this? Because if you and I today aren't careful, we can slip into this mindset and this mentality of, oh, it's just a phase. They'll grow up, they'll figure it out, they'll, they'll find their way. This new generation, it's so different. We didn't have as much technology when I was in that place. I just, I don't understand it. So I'm gonna take more of the approach of actually kind of just burying my head in the sand and hoping that things work out okay. But what I wanna challenge us with today is that that is not what God, what God has called us to do. What we have to understand today is that there is a spiritual fight for the next generation. A fight that won't be solved by screen time a fight that won't be solved by monitoring social media usage. But Ephesians 6.12 describes this fight for us. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, what this verse tells us today is that there is a spiritual fight for the next generation a spiritual fight for their hearts, a spiritual fight for their emotions. And what God has called all of us today is not to turn our heads and run from that fight, but to run into that fight. To believe that the hope of Jesus can transform them and change the course of their future. And this spiritual struggle that we're looking at today, this is not a new tactic of the enemy. Since the beginning of time, the enemy has always fought to lead a generation away from Christ. Today, our passage, we're gonna be landing in the book of Judges chapter two and a little bit of context and setting the stage for where we're going to be today is Judges picks up after the book of Exodus. And Exodus tells us the story of the Israelites being led out of Egypt. 
And what's interesting is when you look at this story, God performs all of these incredible miracles. God works in mighty ways to set the people of Israel free. We see these different plagues that he sends on the land of Egypt. He sees that, we see that he turns the Nile River into blood. He sends a plague of locusts and of frogs upon the land of Egypt. He sends a plague where it's literally just this curtain of darkness that no one can see anything. And he sends plague after plague after plague on the Egyptians until they finally say, okay, Israel, not only can you leave, but please get out and go. Then what happens next? The Egyptians change their mind. They chase the Israelite people out to a place called the Red Sea. And what is incredible in the story is if you're familiar with it, God actually parts the waters and allows the Israelites to cross through on dry ground and then closes the ocean back over the Egyptians who are chasing them and destroys their army. The Israelites have seen God work in these incredible ways. And on top of that, when they're out wandering in the wilderness, what we see happen is that God actually provides food and water and sustenance for the Israelites in ways that are impossible in a barren wasteland so that they can survive as they follow God to the promised land. This is the generation of people that we're picking up with today in verse six. In Judges six, it says, after Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allotted at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that generation died, this is the key part, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. You see, again, what we see in this story is that the Israelites had seen God do incredible things. They had seen God work miracles. They had seen God change their lives and lead them to a place where probably at points they never thought they would get to. God had worked so mightily and powerfully on their behalf. When I think about for you and I today, it would be like if we witnessed the Mariners win a World Series. It would be like that same degree of incredible. Like, come on, there is a God, people. It's not in Seattle sports, but it's okay. But seriously, the Israelites have seen all of these incredible things that God has done. And it's so interesting to me when we look at this story, how it tells us that another generation grows up not only do they not acknowledge God, but they don't remember the mighty things that he did for Israel. And I have to ask myself, why did that happen? Because if I was one of them and I would look at this story and experience all of these things, man, I would be telling everyone about the goodness of God. I would be telling everyone about the powerful and mighty things that God had done in my life and for his people. But we see here that there is a disconnect. I don't know all the factors. I don't have the exact answer to why this happened, but I can't help but wonder is if stories of what God had done weren't shared. Is if somehow that drifted from being a priority. If somehow they decided, you know, the next generation, they'll figure it out, they'll be okay. They assumed that everyone knew. I think back to when I was a sophomore in high school. And I remember going to an event called Youth Conference one fall, and I remember I was sitting there in a session and just really struggling with some things in my life, things that were causing me to actually question my faith, 
to wonder, is following Jesus something I actually even want to do? And I remember being there and the worship team's playing and sure, the speaker was really good. And I remember just having this moment where I just needed to step out. So I walk out of the room. I go outside, I'm sitting down all by myself. And in that moment, as I'm sitting there, I just start to ponder and reflect on, is following Jesus something that I even want to do? I was starting to lose hope. My faith was starting to waver in that moment. But what happened in my story that changed the course of my future was a guy named Doyle. And I don't even know if Doyle remembers this moment, but he notices he's the one person who sees me leave this room and go outside. And what happens is Doyle follows me outside and he just sits with me. He asks me how I'm doing, what's going on. So I just start to share my heart with him. I share my struggles. I share how I feel like my faith is crumbling. I share all of these dynamics that I'm trying to navigate and how I'm losing hope. And he does something really powerful in that moment. Not only does he listen, but he also begins to share the stories of what God has done in his life. He shares the stories of how God brought him freedom in certain areas. He shares the stories of how God had intervened in his family. He shares the stories of how God had moved in ways that only God could. And because of that, he had an unshakable hope in who Jesus was. That was what he shared for me. And can I tell you what that did for me as a young person? Is it gave me hope that God wasn't done with me either. But it took a caring adult being willing to say, hey, I've been there, I've navigated that. Let me share, you, share with you what God has done in my life. When I look around this room today, I see a lot of stories represented of what God has done. Some of you can think back to moments, even in this very room where you gave your life to Jesus, where he met you in a powerful way, where you encountered his love, where he transformed your life for an eternity. You have an incredible story of how God has healed your marriage. You have an incredible story of how God has brought you freedom from an addiction. You have an incredible story of how you had so much shame and guilt, but Jesus brought you freedom from that. And what I'm getting to today is there are young people in your life who only you can reach, who only you can impact, who need to hear the story of what God has done in your life. Because can I tell you that if those stories are not shared, there are young people who will miss out on the hope of Jesus. Again, it can be easy to look at some of these statistics and to be discouraged, but I believe that Jesus is greater than any statistic. And the story of what your life has, what God has done in your life can begin to reverse some of the trends that we're seeing in our youth today. And sharing your story, I believe, requires a certain degree of relational investment. You see, when I look at this story, again, I wonder what took priority over sharing what God had done with the next generation? Did they just assume that they knew? Did they just figure, they'll figure it out on their own? Were they so distracted with other things in life that they missed it? The platform to share your story requires a certain degree of relational investment. There's a saying that goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is incredibly true with the next generation. They need to know that you care about them, who they are as a person before they listen. And when I think about our youth team, I wanna brag on some of our youth leaders just for a minute here. And I don't have time to brag about all of them, they're all incredible, but they model this principle so well. I think about two young guys named Marcus and Nolan. 
Marcus and Nolan joined our, our youth team here at the Grove shortly after my wife and I uh, came here from Port Orchard to Marysville. And something that has so impressed me that I love watching about these two guys is they've taken a set of brothers under their wings. Their names are Jaden and Zoran. And Jaden and Zoran are really involved with the worship team. They've become leaders in our youth ministry. And largely that is because of a couple of leaders willing to come alongside them and invest in their life. Every single Wednesday, they make sure that they have a ride to youth, a ride home. However it works, they make sure that they get there. And you know what all that time in the car, that ride time creates? Is opportunity for relational investment. Is opportunity for the hope of Jesus to be shared. Is opportunity for those young guys to share what they're struggling with and to allow someone who's been there, done that, to speak into them. I think about a young couple who serves in our youth ministry named Josh and Caitlin Bacon. Yes, Bacon is their last name. It's incredible. But they're an incredible couple. And some of you, you maybe know Caitlin more from Grove Kids, but guess what? That's not all she does. She also serves in the youth ministry. And what I love so much is when I show up on a Wednesday night and I walk into a room is seeing these two people surrounded by a crowd of middle schoolers who will always be far more excited to see them than they will be to see me. Because those are leaders making an intentional investment in the lives of young people. I think of a John Gadbury and an Emily Heinrichs. And many of you know them, they've been part of the Grove for a while. But they've been serving in youth ministry long before I even came to this church. And believe one of the reasons for that is because they know deep down inside that they have an impact, that they make a difference when they don't just show up faithfully week after week in the life of a student, but also year after year. I wonder how many students they've seen graduate high school because they understand that that relational investment is crucial. If I had to sum up this entire message today, it would be this common thread through all these stories, and that is this. Investing in the next generation changes the course of their future. Investing in the next generation changes the course of stats about mental health. Investing in the next generation changes the stats about grades and the academic success of students in our community. Investing in the next generation changes the course of the feelings of despair and depression that ultimately lead a student to even contemplate suicide in the first place. Investing in the next generation changes the course of their future. So how do you invest now? Around this room, there's a lot of people who have a heart to invest and not everyone has the same degree of time. And let me just say that's okay. But one really easy way that you can invest is simply committing 10 minutes every week to prayer. And I would ask specifically that you pray at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday night. Because if you don't know, every single Wednesday in this room right here, we have a group of students who gather together to be encouraged to experience hope and to ultimately encounter the love of Jesus. But not every single student who shows up on a Wednesday knows God. Not every student who comes on a Wednesday sits in these chairs on a Sunday morning as well. There are students who need the hope of Jesus who are here every single Wednesday. And we are a youth ministry that exists to provide them that hope, but we need you to be in prayer. We need you to be committed to praying for our leaders, that they would have the spirit of God working through them and the courage to have tough conversations with kids and to be there for them. We need you to be praying for our youth students 
that they would be open and receptive to the gospel and the good news of Jesus? Would you commit to being in prayer every single Wednesday? There are some of you out there where maybe you have a little bit more time on your hands. What would it look like for you to say, I'd actually love to be a part of those youth gatherings? I can give three to four hours a week to show up, to serve, and to be a consistent presence in the life of a young person who needs the hope of Jesus. And honestly, it's not as hard as you might think. You show up, you're present, and you lead and love them well. But all of that together creates an environment where students can experience hope, where students can encounter a living God who loves them in that environment. The other thing, and we don't have a ton of information on this yet, but we're actively working on that, and that's providing a tutoring option for students. You see, some of you out there, God has given a calling and a passion to invest in the lives of students' education, to see grades begin to improve. One of the saddest things for me as a youth pastor is how in any small group setting, the most common prayer request I get every single week when I ask how we can be praying for them is I really need prayer for my grades. Whether it's high school, whether it's middle school, that's the most common prayer request. And some of you, again, you have a passion for education. You have a passion for investing in the next generation of students and helping them grow, whether it's in math or history or science. And I can promise you don't want me trying to help them, but you probably could. We're working on having an option for students during the week that's also a safe place for them to come and belong. And right now, if you're out there, I would just encourage you to think about what it would look like for you to commit to that. Giving 60 minutes to an hour, oh, well, 60 minutes, that's the same thing. <laughs> Brain power, people. No, stop it. 60 minutes to two hours a week. What would it look like for you to give that time? to invest in the lives of students in that way. And it might feel small, but it makes a huge difference. And here's how you get involved. Ready for this? I'll be right back. I promise. Look at this sign, guys. You know what that is? That's an email. <laughs> You're like, it's not Gmail? Like, no, it's grove.church. My wife made this sign, this was for the rooftop, and she also wanted me to share it with you today because she's proud of it. So there it is. But seriously, if you wanna get involved, all you have to do is email me. And emailing isn't even a commitment. When you email and click send, you are not like giving your life to students for an eternity, okay? Even though that's not the worst thing you could ever do. But when you email, it's simply just to request more information and to find out how you can get involved. What creative ways can you invest in the lives of young people today? However you choose to get involved today, I would encourage you to do so with the knowledge that the investment that you make today could change the course of the future of a young person. The investment that you make today, again, can change the course of statistics about mental health. The investment that you make today can change the course of feelings of despair and hopelessness. And as we talk about changing the course of the future, there's a verse that my mind immediately goes to. And that verse is Hebrews 10.23. Here's what it says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
for he who promised is faithful. Did you catch that part at the end? God is faithful. It doesn't matter what a statistic says. God is faithful. It doesn't matter how hard it might be for us to hope for a better tomorrow for the next generation. God is faithful. And when I think about this, I start to go back to that dream that Nick even shared a little bit last week, and it's something I dream about as well. But that's having a community center for students in our community a safe place where they can come and gather. And when we talk about something like tutoring, that's ultimately a stepping stone to help us get there. And this isn't something that's like launching this summer or even this fall, but it's something we're dreaming and praying and hoping about in the future of what's next for how we're gonna reach the next generation at the Grove. What would it look like to have a place where students can gather after school? where they can come and they can hang out. Maybe there's like a skate park, there's snacks, there's food, there's tutoring, a safe place so they can come be there rather than getting into things they shouldn't be before mom and dad are home from work. What if there was a place like that where a student could come and get help with, again, math or science or history or English and find out that there is actually hope for them to reverse the trends of the academics in our community, for them to succeed, that there is hope for that. Come on, he who promised is faithful. What would it look like for us to actually take this statistic of 35% of Gen Z students struggling with suicidal thoughts or a suicidal plan and to not see that statistic increase any longer, at least not in our city, but to stand boldly against it and to say the name of Jesus and his hope will be made known in our community for he who promised is faithful. What would it look like for us to all boldly stand together and to be committed to investing in the next generation to change the course of their future, regardless of what any statistic says? What does it look like for you and I today to invest in the lives of the next generation? Because when I look back on my life, I can list a lot of people who took time a lot of people who poured out their energy, a lot of people who were there for me when life honestly was just the worst I felt it possibly could be, but they were there to encourage me, to remind me of hope, to not let me give up. And that's one of the reasons why I stand here today. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about youth ministry, because it makes a difference. It's not a club on a Wednesday night or a youth group. It's a youth ministry where lives are changed for the kingdom of God. My question for you today is, would you commit with us? Would you commit to prayer? Would you commit to serving? Would you commit to tutoring and investing in the next generation to change the course of their future? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given every single one of us to reach the next generation. God, I thank you that it's not a call that's specific to one or two or three individuals, but God, it is a call that is specific to each and every single one of us. Because God, you have placed people in our lives that only we can reach. Students, God, who are hurting, who are broken, who are feeling depressed, who are feeling anxious, who God just needs someone to be there for them and give them your hope. So God, I pray right now for your spirit to be with every single person in this room. God, would you equip us and lead us and give us the eyes to see those students who are hurting, those students who need to know your hope. 
God, we pray for the future of academics in Marysville. God, I pray that we would see students begin to succeed in ways that they never thought possible. God, that you would change the course of their future careers and success through things like tutoring. God, I pray over our Wednesday night gatherings for students and young people as well. God, I pray that you would continue to lead new students to Jesus. God, that we would reach more students in this coming season than we ever have before. God, that we would see lives changed, students baptized, and stories of how you are working in the lives of the next generation. God, we thank you again for this opportunity to reach the next generation. God, give us boldness. Give us your love. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.